morning, friends, and welcome to worship. Today, the Lord speaks into our hearts because we realize from Scripture that He is indeed the call and response God. God speaks and things come into being. So it's fitting that He's the one who's going to make us alive in Him today. God calls us to worship today from Psalm 30. I'll read those portions for the leader, and we will read together those for people. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray together. Merciful Father, you are worthy of all of our praises. You're the only holy God that we know. You're the wise God, you're set apart, and you are loving. Thank you for loving your people today. No matter what type of circumstances that we are in, no matter the situation of the coronavirus, Lord, you are with us and you promise to be with us. And so we come giving our hearts to a kind, merciful and compassionate God today. Invigorate our souls, turn our hearts to Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Splendor of the King. Splendor of the King. Clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. Let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide And trembles at his voice And trembles at his voice How great is our God Sing with me how great is our God And all will see how great How great and age to age he stands And time is in his hands Beginning and the end Beginning and the end The Godhead three in one Father, Spirit, Son The Lion and the Lamb The Lion and the Lamb How great is our God Sing with me how great is our God And all will see how
God, my Father. And there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Great is thy faith. 
faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I Sing it again. Great is, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Oh, want to take a moment now to confess our sins together before the Lord. We learn through Proverbs 28, 13, that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And that's what we want to do. We want to come before the merciful God of heaven, confessing our sins together using Psalm 6. Let us turn now and confess before him. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? Father, it is true. It is the living and not the dead that gives praise to you. For you are the God of the living. And so we thank you so much for the freedom that we enjoy coming to you, bearing our souls before you, confessing, our sins. So it's fitting too, Father, that you would give us the assurance of our pardon, the assurance of forgiveness through verses like Romans 8, 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Merciful Father, thank you for forgiving us based on all that Jesus has done on our behalf. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people say it together. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Glenn Hoberg, and I'm a pastor at Grace Downtown, and want to welcome you as we gather again together each week, not knowing what the next week will hold, but we're coming together in faith, and thank you for doing that joining us. And today I want to start a new series, which we're calling Walking by Faith and Not by Sight. And what a great time to be considering that topic in a time where uh, much of what we've placed our faith in is no longer there. Maybe it's faith in our ability to control our schedule, our career, our health. Maybe it's our faith that experts will give quick solutions and this will all be gone. Those things are no longer there for our faith. And we sit in the heat of trial. But there are some things which heat reveals. Maybe you've seen soldiers wearing those infrared glasses. And although everything is blacked out and dark, they can still see people. Why? because of the heat that generates from their bodies. Well, it might be the heat of this trial is revealing some things to you about yourself. Maybe it's that your hope is less than it was last week. Maybe it's lack of patience. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's anxiety. But if that's how you feel, you should know you have connection with the original recipients of this letter to the Hebrews. Now, we don't know a lot about this letter. We do know that it was written likely by a Jewish first century pastor to a group of Jewish followers of Christ that lived in Rome. And what we do know from the letter and from both secular and religious historians is that they were enduring terrible persecution. Families being broken up, people being put in jail, lost possessions, brutal death. And here's the thing, it wasn't the first time. It was actually the second time they were going through it. Even as we endure this pandemic, we'll sometimes hear warnings from uh, those in the field of science and medicine. This might not be the first time 
or the last time rather, this might be a new norm. And maybe that makes your faith shake. If it does, you're in a wonderful position to benefit from the teaching of Hebrews chapter 11. But before we do that, we first have to get a, a bearing, a sense of what faith means, what the author means by that word. Now, faith or belief is sort of a popular concept. You find it in commercials. Maybe you saw the Nike commercial celebrating the women's soccer team and the chant, I believe we will win. Uh, faith or belief in oneself is considered to be a quality of successful people. But here we have the first difference between the way the Bible understands faith and the way our culture does. You see, our culture typically sees faith as something that is inwardly directed, inwardly focused, something that I self-produce. Where we find in the Bible, faith is actually outwardly directed toward God. You see, there's a difference in the object of faith. And that's the first thing I want us to see as we consider faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the object of faith. Now, I was, as I was thinking about uh, objects of faith, for some reason my mind went this week to stage diving. Uh, you probably are familiar with it. You've seen concert footage of either a performer or a fan. They get up and they dive in, and ideally they're caught. Now, uh, as I was looking at some videos this week, I, I was unfortunately, I probably shouldn't have been laughing, looking at many stage dives that did not go well. The person uh, considered their object of faith, the crowd, to be trustworthy. It was not, and they fell flat. Well, uh, all of us have objects of faith, don't we? It might be our faith is in an adult in our life, or a leader, a mentor in our life. Our faith is in science and technology. Our faith is in our nation. Our faith is in our economy. Lots of different objects of faith. But the writer of Hebrew is saying, Hebrews is saying that the true and trustworthy object of all of our faith is the God of heaven and earth, the God who has made us. And that immediately brings up a question, right? A legitimate question, how do I have faith in someone that I can't see, I can't touch, and I can't hear? But it's important for us to remember that wasn't always the case. The writer in Hebrews 11 makes reference to the first chapters of Genesis, and we only had a portion of it in our reading. But in that, we find in chapter 3 that the Lord God walked with a man and woman in the garden. There was nearness, there was intimacy, until one day when envy and pride and distrust overtook the man and the woman, and immediately there was distance with God. But that distance becomes breached in what the Bible calls faith. Faith becomes the way back into communion with God. And God is kind to give us many signposts to help our faith as we draw near to him in communion. I recently was um, listening to a talk given by a celebrated homicide detective. And he was someone that was formerly an atheist, became a Christian, and said uh, what was key in his conversion was 
he just simply followed the practices that he had been uh, doing all throughout his detective career. The same principles. And he talked about two. He said, uh, in the courtroom, there are only two kinds of evidence. There's direct evidence. That's verifiable eyewitness evidence. And then there's indirect evidence, things like DNA, fingerprints. And God actually provides both of those, direct and indirect evidence. And the, and the writer in Hebrews tells us in verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now there the indirect evidence uh, is the fact that God's fingerprints are all over the world whether it's in the intricate code of DNA or the intricate weaving of a cherry blossom. God's hand is seen in what he's made. But the point of that evidence, just like in a crime scene, isn't just to arrive at what, it's to arrive at who. It's to arrive at a person. And this is a very important thing for us as we think about faith. If we approach faith or God like he is data to be studied, we won't succeed because God is a person. You know, whenever we objectify a person, that is when we treat them as a thing, we never get to know them, do we? Well, when we seek to objectify God, when we say, God, uh, you're this thing that has to deliver these things into my life or live it to my expectations, we never truly can get to know him. And the reason we have to remember for the distance is not lack of data, it was distrust. So the only thing that's going to remedy that is actually trust and faith, not more information. And praise God that the Spirit of God who hovered over the creation when it was a formless mass is the same, way that can, same one who creates faith in you and I. And when he does, when he does... It transforms our view of the world that God has made. You find yourself led not just to wonder over the world, but to worship the one who made the world. You find that you're just not fascinated with the world. The world doesn't just entertain you. It begins to counsel you and preach to you and encourage you. We hear this in the scriptures where Jesus says, uh, you know, think about the birds and the flowers. The birds and the flowers are counseling you and I, saying, don't worry, listen, if God of heaven and earth provides for me, you're so much more valuable. Or the stars as they shine and are upheld in the sky, that God will uphold you and I, his people. Or as we stand on a firm rock, that God will be that secure underneath our feet. You see, the earth begins to sing and preach to you and encourage your faith. But there's also what we might call direct evidence. Uh, the first was indirect evidence. I may have misspoken, but the second is direct evidence. And here we see reference to the Word of God, the Word of God that uh, the writer in Hebrews mentions. And at the end of this chapter, one of the things he'll say is that all those he had just mentioned were living by a promise. And they didn't actually get to receive it, but that didn't matter. That promise was so strong. The certainty was so strong and enabled them to live a sacrificial life. And whether it was the sure word of the prophets or the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, 
that word God has provided for his people, and that word is key for you and I in our faith. The book of Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You see, God's word builds faith in you and I. So maybe you're here and you're just looking into God. You're a skeptic, you're a seeker. And I would say it's, it's critical not only for you to look in the world around you, but that you hear the promises of God. Because God is a person and that builds trust with him. And for those of you that are professing Christians, I want to ask you, how is the word of God upholding your faith right now? Do you see his word as critical to maintaining your faith day in and day out? Faith gains power from its object. When your object is the God of heaven and earth and the word of Christ, it leads to a second thing, and that is the confidence of faith. The writer says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, the Greek word assurance shows up earlier in the letter, in chapter 3, and there it's translated rightly as confidence. Assurance and confidence are a similar thing. Now, this might hit us as funny because our culture would say you can have confidence in anything but religion, <laughs> right? Anything but religion. But that's changed now, hasn't it? Because many things that we had confidence in don't hold anymore in this pandemic. And all of a sudden, people are asking deeper questions about self and soul. But there are two things that we have here that God gives us, and actually in chapter 11, that help build our confidence. The first is know your history. Know your history. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with the story in uh, the Old Testament of Israel passing through the Red Sea. I referred to it in the first sermon I gave. And uh, that account is mentioned many, many times. Uh, for instance, we read, He, the Lord, rebuked the Red Sea, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. And in a different verse, God overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. And in another verse, Moses led them out at the Red Sea. Now, what's interesting about those verses I just read to you is all the people that said those things, they weren't there when it happened. They weren't present. They weren't eyewitness testimonies. They were generations and generations after. But they speak with a confidence as if they were almost there. No, as if they were there. They have that sort of confidence. Now, how do we get that? Let me uh, use an illustration here. Some of you have seen the show, um, I think on PBS, Finding Your Roots, and where Dr. Uh, Henry Gates, Harvard professor, will lead usually a celebrity, I think always a celebrity, through uh, their genealogy or their story. And they you know, wade through all this stuff and ancestral history and family story and all this evidence to give them these conclusions. Now imagine... If someone got on, celebrity got on, and Dr. Gates brings all this stuff, and then their response is, well, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Uh, I mean, it happened a long time ago. That makes me cynical about it. Uh, it's, uh, we have no video on it. We just have these photos. Maybe those photos have been faked. 
or uh, maybe the, the data you uh, collected was biased. The people that collected it were biased. And then Dr. Gates might respond and say, well, this is historical evidence just like anything else. And then the person responds and says, well, I don't really believe in history. I don't believe in anything before there was video. Now, of course, that's ridiculous, right? No one could live that way. But many people approach the Christian faith that way, right? These claims are dubious because they were written a long time ago. They don't have faith for a bad reason, not a good reason. Or maybe let me put it in a way that's more personal uh, for me. Uh, one of the uh, stories or accounts that has pa been passed along to me is that my great-grandparents came from Ireland and uh, they were so poor they had to come over on uh, the boat with the cattle. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know it because my mother told me and she knows it because her grandmother told her who was the one that came over on the boat. Now, why would my mother lie to me about that? Why would her grandmother lie to her? Why would the descendants of Israel, or rather, why would the eyewitnesses of Israel lie to their own children and descendants? It doesn't make sense, does it? We might tell tall stories about things that don't matter. The things that matter really matter to us. And that's why you find uh, in the Gospels, Writers like Luke saying, I've investigated everything, or Peter saying, we didn't invent cleverly invented myths for your faith. And this is why the Hebrew author is saying that every follower of Christ, you need to know that your story is the story of the Bible. Every follower of Christ is the descendant of Abraham. So what I'm asking you is, do you see these stories as part of your story of faith? Is your confidence built on the fact that your lineage, your faith lineage, is built up in an extraordinary way? But second of all, there's a confidence that not only comes from knowing your history, there's a confidence that comes from improving your uh, vision, from improving your vision. Now, uh, I wear glasses, and if I reached in our medicine cabinet for one of my prescriptions without my glasses on, there's a really good chance that I'm going to take somebody else's medicine because I cannot see small things. Many of you have glasses. It's the opposite effect. Maybe you can't see far away. But the point is, your vision is impaired. Sin has impaired all of our vision on the way we see life in the world. But when you put on the right lens, the lens of faith, you see the world in a different way you begin to see the wisdom of the book of Proverbs and the way it talks about relationships. You begin to see the depth and poignancy of uh, suffering as told through the life of Job. You begin to uh, understand your emotions through the Psalms, more so when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story that the Son of God came and lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died and rose for you and became your substitute. And God did it. Why? All because of grace. All because of his sheer love. When you and I begin to believe that and we learn grace, it, it changes the way we see the world. It can't help but change your lens. 
Let me give you uh, a pretty uh, basic and very current illustration from my own life. Um, Easter Sunday, like a lot of you, we tuned in for worship and we had a good day today. Uh, that day it was enjoyable. But uh, right after dinner, things just turned in a, in a, in a different way, a bad way. Uh, first of all, our sink in the kitchen, the double sink, was uh, stopped up on both sides. Now, I know better and know myself better. When something like this happens, uh, what I need to do is I need to breathe, I need to collect my faith, and I need to think about what needs to be done and just don't jump in. Well, I jumped in. And as I jumped in, uh, I began to move too quick. And uh, if you've ever done this before, you know, you've, if you're going to try to undo one of the little traps to see if that's where the clog is, you've got to have a bucket under there. And uh, I did put a, a, a bucket under there, but it wasn't a big enough bucket. And as I undid it, uh, days, weeks, months of Hoburg meals, uh, years of Hoburg meals that had basically just, you know, decomposed. And if you've ever done this, you know, the odor I don't even have to say it, you just know. Water went everywhere. We're frantically trying to clean it up. It takes me about an hour and a half just to stop all that. And so the kitchen's a mess and I'm tired and think I'm just gonna relax for a couple hours. And so I do. And then my daughter comes downstairs and says, Dad, I don't want you to freak out right now, but there is brown liquid dripping from our upstairs bathroom. Now, brown liquid, right? I'll just leave it there. But this was the difference. God got the better of me. I breathed. I collected my faith. It was as if God whispered to me, hey, I'm going to go with you. Okay, we're partners in this. Just calm down. We're going to just take it step by step. And I went upstairs and went through all the things, and it turned out that the wind had blown the cap off our trap that leads to the ceiling, or rather the roof, and it was just rain on wood, nothing nasty. But the point was, just a small moment of faith changed my whole view and changed the way that I behaved. You know, I, I have heard so many times I can't even count from people of faith how the lens of faith are changing the way they see things, the way they see themselves the way they see their neighbor, the way they see the city, the way they even see this pandemic. One scholar said, faith enables a person to advance courageously and confidently into an unseen future supported only by the work of God. But I need to get us to our last point. And it's not just the object of faith, the confidence of faith, but a reward of faith. We read in verse two, for it by the people of old received their commendation. And in verse 6, we read, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, uh, some of you may have said to a person of faith, or maybe you have heard from someone, uh, the words, Well, I wish I had faith like you right now. And uh, sort of the conception, the understanding of faith there is that faith is some sort of natural power that some people have and others don't have. But that's not how, uh, you know, the writer is describing it, is he? 
I mean, what's being commended here isn't that you get to heaven and God says, let me commend you because you were so smart to figure it all out. You had the brains to figure out I was up here and I was for you and who Jesus was. Or I want to congratulate you on your positivity. That's not what's being commended. If I can borrow a phrase from the book of Romans, what's commended is the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. You see, faith has a will. Faith has a morality. Faith has an obligation and a responsibility. You know, the reason, uh, the opposite of faith isn't uh, reason. And the opposite of faith isn't failing to win the big championship. The opposite of faith is me trying to rule my world and to save myself. That's the opposite of faith. If faith is to for me to believe in the God of heaven and earth, in the word of Christ, that God came in the flesh to save me. The opposite of faith means when I don't believe those things and I act in a way contrary. In, in Hebrews, uh, the writer is drawing us to see that the reward of faith is what God accomplishes us in us. Um, I recently was listening to, you know, there have been different uh, wonderful musical things floating around on the internet of churches and Christians singing, you know, on Zoom. Uh, isn't technology wonderful? I know we get tired of it during the work week, but still wonderful. And uh, uh, one of the, I think, uh, women in our community forwarded to Meg, and then Meg forwarded to me. It was a group of churches in Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh, and you know, I'm, some of you know I'm from Pittsburgh. And uh, they sing this marvelous song that goes on for eight minutes, but in it, there's just a simple refrain, and it just keeps building and building and building. And two of the phrases, uh, one is, he is for you, for you, for you, for you. And the other one is, you know, he will bless your children and their children and their children. And as I listened to that, like many people, uh, I found my fears dissolving, even in this pandemic, right? I found that um, God's favor, his love, that I'm chosen and holy and dearly loved, that you are holy and blameless in his sight, that his banner over you is love, that his name is on you in an irrevocable way, that every spiritual blessing in heaven and earth is given to you. When we understand these things as the reward of our faith, the commendation we most look for is to hear him say, my son or daughter, well done. Doesn't, isn't it true that so much of the sin and damage and selfishness in our lives and in the world comes from us trying to earn that attaboy, girl? all by ourselves, trying to save ourselves. And we see it even during this time, how, how that self-survival mechanism. But instead, the gospel does something very different. It changes our experience. The future is so certain and so powerful and so tangible through faith that it conditions your present redeems your past, and gives you courage and confidence in the present. 
So as we move through this study of Hebrews chapter 11, brothers and sisters, let's remember the object of faith, the confidence of faith, and the reward of faith. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for everything you do that we might be reunited with you, that we might believe in you, that we might repent of our distrust, and that we might be uh, a light and a blessing to our city. In Christ's name, amen. Now, would you receive the good word of God, his word of grace that can build up your faith? Now may Christ dwell in your heart through faith, and may by his Spirit you comprehend with all the saints how wide and deep and long and high is his love for you. Amen.